ride with me in my foul life. This episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Securit Gun Safes. The gun safe industry has lost touch with what owners really need, but Securit is changing the game. Their products meet the highest industry standards and are trusted by law enforcement agencies, military personnel, and gun owners across the country. What sets Securit apart is the focus on customization and adaptability. The cradle grid technology allows you to customize the layout of your gun safe to fit your specific firearms, and the modular design lets you add or remove components as your needs change. And the best part? Securit offers a variety of gun safes to choose from so you can find the perfect fit for your collection. Whether you need a compact hidden gun safe for your bedside or a large gun cabinet to store your entire collection, Securit has you covered. Securit's Fastbox hidden gun safes are designed for quick and easy access and can be mounted in a variety of locations for maximum flexibility. And unlike traditional gun safes that are heavy and difficult to move, these products are lightweight and easy to install. Don't settle for a one-size-fits-all gun safe that doesn't meet your needs. Head over to SecuritGunStorage.com to learn more and to order your own in innovative gun storage solutions today. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by Oakley. Guys, let's talk about something important, protecting your eyes. Whether you're hitting the field and stream or just heading to work, you need eyewear that provides clarity, protection, and the style you need. Visit oakley.com to find the perfect pair for you. I was listening to you play that guitar today and I was like, man, that's that's just such a, a cool talent to have to be able to pick up an instrument i don't yeah. care if it's sitting down at the piano and jamming or picking up yeah. a guitar or like bill burr the comedian you know he may he's my favorite comedian he sits down and, and jams on the drums yeah like he's playing with all these big rock bands and and doing these benefits you know and tributes and yeah i don't know i'm kind of envious of it because i've always wanted to be a drummer well you know i tell a lot of people about music is playing guitar is not difficult at all getting good at but all it's it's a very very simple process i tell anybody you want to be a guitar player you want to learn to play guitar play guitar just commit to five minutes a day every day and don't miss a day don't miss a day five minutes a day and you know what because all you're doing again you think i think about this like scientific you're building neural pathways and after a month or so all of a sudden you're realizing these chords are getting easier to make and you're and now i'm learning saying that youtube now for teaching is so good five minutes a day well, you'll find people having five minutes a day for 30 days easy challenge all of a sudden you're playing some chords they say you know what five minutes turns into 15 20 sometimes because you're, you're you're kind of into it all of a sudden it's sounding good it's hard to get that barrier of entry like i suck goes to like all right hey i'm learning a song and the people who become good guitar players or good musicians of any kind are the people who love the love the practicing process if you don't like to practice if you don't want to do that you just want to be up just play well that's not going to happen but you have to love i used to sit with a metronome just like a robot doing these really slow scales just you know practicing for perfect performance i did all the time to drive my mom nuts you know just really slow very deliberate i love that process to me it cleared my head but you do that again anybody out there five minutes a day so would you at your prime or like mm -hmm. i know that you talk about your arthritis but would you consider yourself a master guitar player an elite guitar like what level did you get to in kind of the i was in 83 guitar player magazine did the article on me and i was doing um transcribing paganini's capris on guitar so those were classical violin pieces very fast and i was playing that on guitar i was doing a lot of 
I mean, I was playing in metal band type music, but I was also playing a lot of, you know, called metal version of Mendelssohn. I liked a lot, a lot of classical. Um, back then it was classically influenced. <laughs> you said class. My oh. son knows my son was picking oh, that's up. Oh, funny. So, class. no, I, the article is a classically influenced rock guitar player kind of, is, is how they referred to me. And, uh, yeah, I was a uh, very technical, fast player. And, you know, compared to Yurik Roth out of Germany, Ingve Malmsteen, in, in that style. And, uh, and I, you know, I played too much. I, I learned later in life, going to the gym, you work with a trainer, you do legs on Monday, you, do upper, you don't do legs again until Thursday because those muscles need a chance to heal. Well, I was playing so aggressively and, and, and you know, trying to, I was working on a, a instructional video that I was putting out called the 20-minute workout for guitar to teach young guitar players how to do, it's a 20-minute program that you do to build proficiency quickly. And in doing this and working this every day, like a muscu- like, like a physical workout, and I completely blew my, my right arm out. My elbow, the, the tendon, I just blew it out. And I just, you know, I thought, oh, I had to take a break. So I took a break and a week turned into 10 days, turned into physical therapy, turned into a chiropractor, turned into a month, turned into six months of not being able to play. And then I, there was a day I kind of realized, like, this is never going to happen for me. You know, it's over. And I was, it was, I was, I was, you know, I just gotten married. We were, you know, we were dirt poor and uh, it was, it was a brutal, it was a brutal time for me. It was, it was a tough time, but. Uh, to give it up. Or to admit that you to, weren't going to do it? Just because I felt I was, I was right there. I, I'd moved to Los Angeles. I had this article in Guitar Player Magazine, which is, that was the magazine back then for music. And the phone was ringing. It was like, all of a sudden, it's like, people know who I am now. And I've, you know, it's, I was just at that point where I'm going to, you know, well, I thought fulfill that dream of being a guitarist in a major band. And poof, it was just gone. And, uh. I had to get a job, so I got a job telemarketing because they'll, they'll hire anybody for this little company selling typewriter ribbons. Pretty funny. And you have know, B2B, and uh, I was so bad at it, they moved me to a non-sales position because the guy liked me. I quit and took a straight commission job at another company saying, I got, I've got to survive. I, I'm not going to make 10 bucks an hour. I, I got to figure out a way to actually make a living. And I committed to, instead of practicing for 10 hours a day playing guitar, I, I just shifted and... I immersed myself in the world of sales, and I was getting cassette tapes, books, and every day I'd drive to, to work, and I was, I was bad at this, at this job. I made more phone calls, telemarketing than anybody else in the company, by almost two to one, and I'd listen to a cassette tape going to work, from tape, I was reading books, and I immersed, you know, working six hours a day, and then spending another four hours a day just in the world of sales, learning, 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 and you know, a year and a half later, I was a monster telemarketer. And this is back in the early days of telemarketing. It's not like it is now where it's annoying. These, it, you know, we're B2B. So we're calling people, building relationships, building up these big, custom, big, all these accounts that I was selling to, could they reorder? And uh, I left, I started my own business in my apartment. And uh, that, I started to get some success. A couple of years in, we had, I had a partner, we had 18 sales reps. And it was, you know, as that business started to grow and I found myself, really enjoying my life really just i mean it was we i had no money we were broke i drove this beat up 66 falcon all the money was pouring back into the company my first year in business i took out a thousand dollars third year i took out 1600 it wasn't until i was in business for four years that i took a salary of thirty thousand dollars 
My wife was worked as a banker. I mean, worked as a bank teller. So she wasn't making much. And then she got a job in a, in a video production company as a assistant. And a, like eight months into it, she was operations manager. She was sharp. She was making, at the time, you know, we're a young couple. She was making 40000 a year. To us, it was like, holy shit. Big that was, money. That was big. We bought our first condo on her income. But, you know, I look at those times and things really felt really good. And I was working this, this because running a telemarketing office is kind of like being a musician. I mean, I'm up in front of a bunch trying to motivate people. I'm doing my stage show, but without a guitar, it's just just talking, just energy. Come on, guy, you know. And I realized at that point that when I look back at my music life, I'd been playing. I'd played in bands for quite a few years in the East Coast. Play, played all around. I really didn't like the lifestyle. I wanted to be a professional successful heavy metal you know rock guitar player you know world run all that crap i that's why my goal was to be that person but i actually didn't like the lifestyle i'm a more you know i'm, I'm up right now i'm up 4 30 in the morning i'm out on my ranch i'm an outdoor morning person and the rock that's life going, that's when you're going to bed is, is the absolute opposite you know i was getting home at six o'clock every morning trying to sleep and the sun's up i can't it's just and uh I was so focused on that one goal, though I got through it, but I realized that I didn't like a lot of the people I had to work with, too, because not the musicians, but everybody else, your bookers, your age, everybody says, okay, these guys got some talent. How can I get How can I get money out of them? How can I bleed? You know, you know I was playing in a band, and we had a four-man crew. Um, we charged a lot to play in bars. We were making... I mean, we were, I think that band was, this was back in the 80s, was $2,500 to show up to play or 90% of the door ticket sales, whichever's more. That's what, that's what we made. And that's, that's, that's a lot for a bar band. But we'd pack places and uh, I hardly saw any money. I never got paid. I mean, we, we covered our rent. I had strings. I had food. We had everything we needed. Where's all the money going? You know, it's management. Yeah, you start making that big money though. Like if you got, oh, yeah. what if you would have got a call by Nikki Six and said, "Hey, like right before he found Mick Mars, you'd be like, no, that well, that's you're right. But when you look at the bands that almost make it huge, all the bands that were opening acts, I use um, there's a heavy metal band called Keel, and the guitarist I was a friend of mine. We grew up with the high school together. He's he says he's the guy that got me interested in guitar. I could argue with him, but he he was a mentor to me early on, and uh, he played in Keel. And it's like boom, a big band. They're touring. They toured all over the world as an opening act. He never made a penny." The, Never made a penny? No. The record company made all the money because the way rock music worked back then is you get you you come in to do an album. They say, we're going to sign you. So you do it. They, they, they upfront all this money and they do the album. They release it. They put it out there and they're going to put you on the road touring. Your contract maybe is you're going to get of record sales. You're going to get, you know, 6% of record sales. And there's a mechanical that's built in by the music industry. So the mechan every time a record is printed, the mechanical goes to the writer, not the music. I mean, in, in a metal band, the writers are the musicians, but that's kind of guaranteed to them. But they would, that would go into an account, and then the record company comes to the band and says, all right, guys, so sales are going well, generating all this money. You're thinking you're getting you know, 6%, 8% of, the, of record sales. Well, the cost of the album was $230,000. That's on the band. It comes out of their commission. We just went on tour as an opening act. Cost of the tour, is, you know, you're touring with Van Halen or something. You're going all over the world. So that's that was $890,000 for band, crew, everything involved. 
that all comes out of your 6%. So at the end of the first album, everything's all said and done. Get a look at doing album two. Now, you on paper still owe the record company $400,000 because they're just, remember, they're just taking 6%. That's how they're paying themselves off. So the second album all of a sudden becomes really big. You're still not making money. And it's not, if you're a band, like I'm sure Motley Crue didn't make anything on their first album or two. But if you have a breakout album that really takes off, then you can go back to the record company and say, guys, we're done. We're renegotiating this right now. And that's when they'll say, all right, guys, we're making money. You guys, and, and they renegotiate. But it's, all, people will do anything yeah. to be in a rock band. And what they're, they're giving up all their earning power. And the, band, the bars in LA, it was a joke. Um, the band's paid to play. You're paying to play in a I came from a world where we're getting paid two thousand a night for it was a four piece band, four man crew. I'm playing, you know, four to five nights a week. We're generating ten grand a week in revenue in LA. They say, You wanna play at the whiskey? Okay, here's two hundred tickets or seven dollars a piece. You have to sell two hundred tickets to your friends to play in our bar. Meaning the the, the bar is just saying, You're gonna pack the place because you got and you don't sell those tickets, you gotta you, you just have to pay for them. Really? Yeah, and you had a lot of bands back then that would have some young guy who had a business or inherited a lot of money, and they would be the finance guy and just pay and buy the tickets and they'd give them, they'd give them all away. And I, I knew I knew a lot of bar bands back then that had that kind of relationship. Like some kid, dad owns a construction company, they're killing it. The kid works for his dad, and he just he had enough slush fund money to say no problem, man. And he'd pick a band and support them. But uh, no, I. You know, it was, it was, it was, once I was away from the industry. You didn't um, miss it much. No, I didn't. And, uh, so your book will be titled From Guitars to Guns. Yeah. Guns, Cars, and Guitars, baby. Guns, Cars, and Guitars. <laughs> That's a, I, have, I have an Instagram handle. It's Guns, Cars, and Guitars. I like it. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, Secure It is, is, has taken off and you're flourishing now yeah, as a brand. Yeah. And we went over a couple more products today that the end consumer and the yeah. listeners are going to be able to watch on YouTube and the Fat Life TV. Today, we started with the what I call the Benelli and Federal Locker System for yeah. us athletes that are duck hunters in our trailer. 24-foot yeah. trailer. Both walls have two lockers each on them, yep. and these lockers are bigger. I mean, you got 10 or 12 guns in each locker with its own boot. I'll um, tell you what. I think people are going to see that video, and they're going to a lot of minds are going to open up because the effectiveness of that solution for what your needs are it's like we custom designed something specifically. If you, it's not. It's just our standard military product, but in the military, we designed it so they could install them in shipping containers and, and mobile portable forward armories for special forces teams. So that's how we design it. But it absolutely works. It. I mean, you guys, for what you're doing, it's just. It's like wow. That you just open the door. And it's like it's just clean. It, it looks look, good. It does. It, it makes you really want to hunt. Makes you want to be part of it. Yeah, but it's also it's. I mean, a lot of people don't, you know, duck hunting. I mean, I always say that that is a young man's game. It's not easy. the 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 amount of effort to have a successful duck hunt can be very high. Very you always say organization is key to success, and having all your gear, everything laid out, you don't have to deal with all the BS of, you know, too much gear is packed in too small of a piece, and like hunting with too small of a truck, too small of a trailer. We've probably all been there. Yeah. where everything's stuffed in. Now you're digging through because you want that headlamp. You want the one jacket, that mid-weight jacket, because you don't want to get too hot, and you're just like, where is it? And uh, no, that worked out so well. It's uh, 
It's beautiful. That was a good install. I love how the door, I mean, everything from the design of the doors yeah. and how they open up. Uh, what would you call that, an accordion door? Or no, it's, it's, would, bifold, it's bifold, bifolding bifold door. steel door. And then it's uh, for people, you know, listening. And then it's a, the rotating hasps for a padlock with a nine-point hardened steel locking system. But, I mean, it, it is a weapon rack. And it's the doors are punched, so you get visual inventory. You don't need to open the safe to make sure everything's there. And for you, again, you're out in the field with a lot of clients, a lot of people you're working with. Things are moving quick. You know that everything's back, and you know what's gone because it's all single row. And that and grid the, door, that grid style door, or what do you call that door with the? the it's, it's just a diamond punch. Just a diamond punch. Yeah, and diamond you can, punch you can see your guns through it. Right, and it's designed for in military armories. They do sight counts daily. And we set that up so they can do a site count without having to open all the racks um, is a reason for it. And, you know, when we sell the Model 84s into the, into the consumer, into the civilian world, I mean, it's not inexpensive. And it's, it's expensive to produce. Um, but a lot of the people that buy those, they'll buy like $20,000. You know, they're buying 10, 10, 12 of these cabinets because they're doing um, high-end, high-end lodges and in places now one of the things we also do and i can't tell you when we do this because it's it's random but if we get a large order for the military like we could pick up an order for 500 cabinets we will overrun that because now once i'm doing a run of 500 now we set up that line and now making when i'm making two cabinets here four cabinets there it's expensive but i can make 500 lot of things can streamline so what we do we overrun it by 50 or 100 cabinets and we just simply on the website say you know say guys big contract we've overrun it by 50 cabinets and they're at this price until they're gone and it can be 30 40 percent off and people go crazy and then we, we we go through them and uh, we're, we're just we're just not big enough to, to run those cabinets for the civilian world it's the wrong cabinet for a lot of people because it's great for a trailer it's great for a gun room a kit room a locker room um, but it is a see-through cabinet, a punch door. And most people in your homes, I'm a big believer in Secrecy. out of sight. Out of sight. Especially kids in the house. I always say kids don't need to know. If they're not old enough, if they're not old enough to be taught and trained how to use and respect a firearm, why do they need to know they're even there? You know, that, that's kind of my view of it. It should be. Yeah. I, I started educating them young, though. Yep. Yeah, I had. My daughter, my nephew, they were always yeah. taught to respect it and yep. you know shooting at a young age and getting yep. that confidence and and knowing that they don't need to be scared of it or afraid of the gun yeah and it it makes all the difference in the world no it, it's it it's, gives you a newfound confidence in all aspects of life it does. when you find firearms and i found it um for the kids it helped with focus to have them on the range all my kids learned on iron sights and I've got videos of my daughter, and she's you know cute little blue-haired, and she's just with a little, it's a little a lever, 22, and she's shooting a golf ball, and just every time he hits, it's going farther away, and she's like, and she looks up and just laughs. But then she goes back down to, and you just see, you can see the energy, just the focus. The focus make the and shot. concentration. And uh, my oldest, he got into hunting right when I did, really, and he was 11, so he was 12 years old. And we went out pheasant hunting, and he had a, the, a little youth model 20 gauge it's a tiny little shotgun and uh the the whole day i don't think he had taken a shot for most of the day and just the, the way we were set up we were walking these fields it just didn't really and sometimes it's like that he never really had a shot and we're, like, and we're gonna get ready to wind down this one last field we're gonna walk and boom we flush up a nice pheasant and the rest of the guys they're, all, they're like nobody's gonna shoot colton's gonna take this one and he brings i mean one bird one kid 
it wasn't a real close shot. And a little 20 gauge and just took it. And it's just the picture of him at the end, all the group, him holding that bird is absolutely amazing. And then what I did is, and this is, I'll, I'm going to break break my silence on this one. So I just froze the thing. And then my idea was I was going to have it mounted. And then for Christmas, um, we, were, we were hunting in January. And so the following Christmas, I, was, I gave it to him as a mounted bird. And I, I talked to him, I said, I wrapped it all up, put it in the freezer, got it. And the thing was so dry, it was so bad. I actually went on uh, Bass Pro and ordered a mounted pheasant. And <laughs> nobody knows that it's not his bird. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then when Charlie, who, who was four years younger, when he came up to age hunting, I did the same thing. So he just got the, it's, nobody knows. My wife knows. But uh, no, his, uh, he went on though. It's funny, cause I, I don't, I wasn't an expert and I didn't, uh, I didn't know how to really teach them how to shoot. It was really more instinctive. But Colton, we'll go clay. We went clay when they were young. He just doesn't miss. And I'm not particular. At that time, I was really bad at it. It was not a discipline that I, I really did. And uh, we're sitting there shooting. I'm like, gee, Colton. And it's like, he's like, Dad, I don't know why you and Charlie struggle so much with this. He picks up a clay. He's got his shotgun. And this, this time it was a it was a full size twenty gauge. He picks up. He takes it and just throws it and just shoots it. And I'm going like, get in the damn truck. <laughs> and he was he was just laughing because he I mean he knew he had one on us. He knew like like guys, for whatever reason I'm good at this and you're not. Does he still shoot quite a bit? He does. He lives in London now and he doesn't get a chance to. Uh, no, he doesn't. Um, he comes home. Whenever we can get him home, we'll get out. And uh, we went hunting up on the ranch. Um, it was muzzleloader. He was back for Christmas and covered a lot of ground. He had a great day. Saw deer, but never. You know, with muzzleloader, we never had a shot. We just weren't, weren't there, and uh, which is too bad. He had to fly out. Um, and the following morning, I got up, went up to the ranch, and I got in my tracker at 7.05 at 7.13 deer down it was i drove up the hill and it was, it was, a, it was like right there i got out of the truck set the rifle on the on the on the, on the front of the truck stabilize it boom done it was i'm just like yeah i was just like when it, colton's like i said colton when it's easy it's really easy when it's hard you're not going to get a deer i said but don't worry you know what it'll it'll happen but uh yeah it's it's uh it's so much fun i just it's funny how does hunting speed up time i always wonder because you mean coming to like well summer now I'm built I'm out there building the property doing stuff but that you know New York whitetail season's pretty short if you look forward to it too much your whole year keeps accelerating into hunting season and does it make the whole year seem like it goes by too fast I always wonder that yeah it does because you know every day you're just looking so forward to it yeah. and you know and obviously you'll always hear that it that old why you know that you know time flies it does but i mean yeah. the, the clock has never been sped up no. but i do i think hunting it, that season goes by so fast and then but again you know once spring comes and turkey season's there yep and then turkey season's over and then it's time to fish and then all of a sudden you know there's there's waterfowl seasons that start in the continental united states in august now for early season canada yeah. goose and like minnesota or the dakotas yeah, or New I've, Jersey, i've got to do that new york I've, I've not done that i'm going to be out in fact i get back home tonight and i'll be out this week certainly this weekend um for turkey and that's so that's yeah. that's uh 
So it'll be ending up there pretty soon. And then, yeah. and then hunting season can start so early now. And then September, yeah. you have several seasons like blue wing till down south yeah. and Mississippi flyway Midwest. Then you have Canada goose season in a bunch of states in September. And then yeah. a lot of, of us start heading north of the border to Canada, Manitoba or yeah. Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario. And then it's just balls of the wall for October, November, December, January, February. Yeah. And now that snow goose conservation season will go yeah. into February, March, April, depending on how you know how serious you want right. to get on. In the snow goose, snow geese, that's is that the Dakotas or is that? It starts in Arkansas. Does it really? Okay. Texas. I don't yeah. know how good it is in Texas, but Arkansas starting at the end of February. Then southeast Missouri, the Boot Hill. Yeah. And then you just keep working all it the way It just tracks. The season just kind of tracks their migration. Well, it's them. It's it's snow geese moving back north to the breeding yeah. grounds. Yeah. And breeding grounds, you know, you got to be two years old as a snow goose to breed. So those those young birds, which are when they have a good hatch and you have what they call juvies, yeah. that's when those spring seasons are really good. At the tail end of the migration okay. is when I'm not saying you won't. The snow geese get 15, 20, 25 years old. They're hard to decoy. They've seen it. So those juvies are what a lot of people okay. are are getting out at the end because now they're like. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back up, yeah. but we're not in a hurry because we can't breed. Once they hit two years old, they get more of a hurry because they're going to the rut. Okay, that's know? yeah, that's the the DNA is kicking in. We got to reproduce, and that's still that's a very overpopulated because right now they're considering snow geese is an elimination hunt, isn't it? For yeah. as far no as no limit, uh, no plugs in your gun, electronic yeah. calls. Um, in a lot of states, you know, you can donate them to different agencies and stuff. To what what drove the overpopulation? Was it loss of predators, natural predators in, in their breeding grounds? Or I, I think a lot of it had to do with how difficult they are to hunt. I mean, okay. because you got to have massive decoy spreads, which is a huge investment. Yeah. you got to have the ability to follow the migration because they're here today, gone tomorrow. Right. Canada geese, they might get to an area of montana and they'll be there for a month so you yeah, can pattern them that, and that's where i live yeah macaz lake the lake i live on we've got a solid month in the fall where we've got thousands of geese every yeah, night before they lake. migrate south again but yeah. those snow yeah. geese might be here today they're trying to get to you know yeah. south texas they're trying to get to southern hmm. louisiana southern arkansas they're trying to get to the warm weather so they're here today gone tomorrow in the fall so i don't think that a lot of people had a whole lot of success with them yeah. for a long time where that population just kept building to the point to where they started eating themselves out of house and home. They're, they're de-rooters, so they destroy a crop well, that, when they go that's, into it. That's what the concern is. They're destroying the what the, the permafrost the or tundra, the tundra. tundra yeah. the, the breeding grounds, and then they destroy everything in their path. Yeah, They're very stingy, but they're smart. They're hard to hunt. And that's right. why that spring season, you got massive decoy spreads. You might have one spread that you keep out in a in a migratory zone, yeah. migratory route, and you get a, a good south wind or a good you know good sunny day, and the migration's on. They're fun to hunt. It's powerful. I mean, it's not you know I've had several 300, 400 kill days. You've heard us talking about how much we travel. Our trailers, our trucks, Corning Ford, Mickey Thompson tires, bodyguard bumpers. We have a leer on every one of our rigs f-150s f-250s f-350s there's some other trucks out there by other manufacturers we don't mention those we believe in ford and we believe in lear we believe in security protection from the elements the rain the snow the hail security for our dogs our kennels anchored down in our truck bed covered by the lear windows open for breathability and oxygen and air we believe in making sure that when we stop at a hotel or a lodge that that Lear is locked, side windows that could pop up and for easy access, the back window, the tailgate down, everything is locked. There's so many different levels of security with your Lear. It's all prompted by your door locks and the electrical system in your trucks today. 
you can unlock the door so easy. You can lock the door so easy. They come with backup keys to make sure that your side windows are locked, that your that your tailgate window and, and door hatch is locked, and then the Lear locker. We haven't even mentioned that. Push both buttons in, slide it down. Tailgate has to be up, and we have another form of security for firearms, for ammunition, for valuables. It protects our camera gear as we travel America, and that Lear logo is kind of like being part of a Harley Davidson clan. You see so many more Lears on the road once you have it on your truck and it's like a brotherhood a sisterhood i don't care if you're man woman boy girl i don't care if you just got your driver's license your hunting license there's so much pride in that lear brand capital l capital e capital e capital r lear toppers check them out we are so proud and honored to be partnered with lear and we never ever take a trip without making sure that our trucks are loaded down and protected full security by Lear Toppers. I'm Chad Belding, the host of the Foul Life TV and the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting the brands that support us. Thank you for having a Lear on your next truck. Um, now, now, I've not had it's snow geese as far as, it, yeah. is it a good? You ate it yesterday for lunch. Okay, so okay. Now I've got, I mean, Canadian goose, I find goose breast if you prepare it right. It can be all right. It's wonderful. A great recipe for Canada goose is uh, like a pulled pork slow cooking yeah. foil tin on a Traeger 200 maybe 175 degrees 195 degrees yeah. cover it with foil you know you get a foil right tin. and just let it let yeah. it go and slow it, it will make I can make you pulled goose sandwiches tacos lasagnas. Do, you add a, do you add an outside fat source to it no okay it's, it's got just, a lot of fat on it okay All it right. breaks down you got to put something with high acidity in there so something okay. like real apple cider not half and half not apple juice maybe coca-cola something with a high acidic and and you slow cook it for seven hours and then you put it on high for the last hour just and, and then you they come out and they just pull apart with two forks and then you put it back in the the sauce you know right, whatever right, 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 moisture right. you have left let it soak some of that up and then you can mix in whatever barbecue sauce you want hmm. pickles cheese onion bun Incredible. That that recipe's in the provider is it, okay. provider cookbook. But I've done I learned that from a guy named Joe Robinson in Michigan. Uh, we were up in Ontario hunting mm-hmm. and we had you kill eight geese a day per man and we you smoke them every day. You know, you're killing them good every day. So you right. gotta you gotta eat them. Because yep. you your possession limit, you're up there for five days, your possession limit is only three days. If you kill a limit every day, you can only have three days in your oh, freezer. Oh, but if but if you're eating them you gotta eat them. That's that's interesting. So when we're in Canada and you're in a camp and you've got a group up there for 10 days, and let's say you get on a hot streak and yeah. you're killing them, we're eating them every day. Yep. Every day we're cooking, whether it's in a hotel parking lot or the lodge we're at, we have our Traegers and our trailers with us. And, and are, uh, there's, that's, that's hard to say. Traegers and our trailers. and they. Uh, <laughs> and, um, that's great. So we're eating them. So then we move from the locker system to the fast box. Yeah. Yep. And we, we're, uh, we, we're in a hall closet in a home jackets around it you can't see it and i can't believe how quick it is sub two seconds combination open the door we had an ar platform we had a home defense short barreled shotgun yep. and we had a sig sour nine millimeter on one of the racking systems the pegs and it, it was unbelievable how clean it was it's you know a lot of people who have big gun safes you know what you've invested in the safe use the safe but if you're concerned about home defense a fast box in a closet or in your a kitchen pantry and again, it, it does give you some storage capacity. Vertical's got room for two rifles. And you've got room, actually, for four to six handguns with, with the rifles. If it's home defense, I like to set it up the way we had it today. I've got an AR-15, and it's 30-round magazine, racked, ready to roll. It's got room for the gun with the magazine and like a CQB red dot. It, if you've got a really big scope on it, 
it's probably not going to fit with the magazine in it. I mean, it's just it's tight. But we designed it for a CQB optic for pure home defense, pump shotgun right there, and handgun. And the handgun is stored in a way, it's a peg system, it's barrel-safe peg, so you can put it, won't have any impact in the gun. And when you pull the gun out, fingers over, you, you never touch a trigger, but it comes out. You saw that. I pulled the gun out. Straight to and, your grip. And, I, and boom, two hand, I mean, I'm in a position to... To, to 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 use that piece of equipment to you know to work that gun in I mean from the time I touched it the safe until the time I was in a position to defend myself maybe a tick over two seconds maybe I don't, sub two seconds right yeah there. it's uh and I, I like that setup it gives people a choice um, for me I'm a I'm a rifle guy I don't train a lot with handguns um, so I'm for me it's AR-15 and pump shotgun and that's what I keep and I think I if I've never been in that scenario, but I think I would always probably go for the AR, only because I that's that's what I train with the most. Right, and I'm really comfortable and confident about keeping my head in the game with that rifle. I think I'm probably going to go for the shotgun because I'm comfortable yeah. with right. it. Right, you probably spent a lot more time with pumping with, with a pump shotgun, yep. home defense. Now, again, knowing your surroundings, how many people are in the house, where are they at in the house? That's, you know, you got a splatter gun like that. You have to be really careful, but. Yeah. I've just always had the view you're gonna you're gonna break into my house and put my family in danger, yep. and think that you're gonna you know there there you got another thing coming. There's just it's just not a it's it's not even a uh, possibility that I'm not gonna be prepared like no. and, and ready with 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 a you know like that fast box or the fast box twenty with the handguns and again the pantry in the kitchen the closet here it you don't have to have them centralized in one place as long as they're locked up and safe. Right. And kids can't get them to, you can have them to where you might get a chance of being caught off guard because you're out in the living room watching TV and something happens on a late night, you fall asleep watching TV or something, bam, you're right there by the kitchen or you got something by your couch. Right. I know several guys that have this mindset of where there were, you open the drawer to their remote control, there's a, there's a, a fast box there, yeah. boom. Yep. You know, they, and, and, and they're ready at all times. Yeah. And we try to make, we've got some handgun safes, things that will fit in different scenarios different areas because it's, it's it's our position every gun in your home should be secured but just because it's locked shouldn't slow your access and again in the time it would take me to open a closet and reach a gun in the back of this it was just leaning against a wall doing that combo and opening that it's so fast i'm not sure if there's a difference it's less than a second and you're protected all the time right and now you talked about ammunition that's something people should think about and um we were working with uh, gary melton over at paramount doing a test on drywall and ammunition and I was shocked from 308 through to hand different handguns to shotguns to birdshot. The most penetration, most drywall was buckshot, more than a 308. Um, oh. Which I was, and I think it's because the the, the the that buckshot loads up, stacks up, and the BBs the, the shot pushes through and keeps penetrating as the ones in the front break off, and it just it kept going. But if you're in your home, you need to think about you know. Know your target and what's beyond it. And that's, you know, again, in a home full of drywall, I use an AR-15 with frangible rounds, which is like a compressed powder. And it's a, it's a solid round. But the minute that round hits drywall, it expl it dissipates. So you're not going to get over penetration. I know people that are, I said, you know, they've got a, an AR-15. They're using, you know, full metal jacket rounds. They say, look, if you miss, that round is going through your house and probably into your neighbor's house. You've got to just be aware Um with shotguns, I think my shotguns right now, I've got probably number six shot, and then I follow that up with, with buck and a slug. I kind of I stack myself up. Um, 
and also when you're shooting a shotgun, if you, people use a shotgun, if they're not actively shooting shotguns, measure the distance from your gun to your threat. Like if you've got a shot, I've got a fast box under my bed, if you've got a shotgun, well, if I'm going to defend myself, I'm going to go down behind my mattress, set up, so I'm protected and I control the situation. What's that distance? Well, for me, it's probably 15, 20 feet. Go to the range, measure it off, pattern the gun. Yep. And a lot of people don't always realize, you know, in the movies they always show, you know, I don't worry about aiming, you just point at the wall, you're going to cover it. No, you're going to, your, your pattern's the size of a nickel. At that distance. Right. So it's, you still need to have your aim and be solid in what you're doing and practice, practice you know, if you're going to go to the range, train how you fight. Up. Practice in different scenarios. Right. Get your train, breathing up. Train how train. you fight. Train yeah. how you, you can set up the I'm scenarios. I'm so excited about, you know, our, our last couple of days together. Yeah. I was talking with my trainer this morning, my firearms trainer, and I'm like, this is what I want to do. As soon as the warm weather, I, I, we can go out and train right now, yeah. but I want to bring my daughter. I want it to be comfortable. Yeah. I want to do shotgun and I want to do handgun in the same day. And then yeah. the next day do AR and maybe some rifle. But I, I want to become very proficient in all aspects. And even if you know it and it's like riding a yeah. bike, you know, keeping up with the game is very important. It's the best it shooters in the world. Like you said about the guitar, they shoot almost every day. They do. It's because again, when you look at performance, people who are good at something, musicians, you know, prodigies aren't born. They're made. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a book on that outliers. And he talks about it. He goes, there's no magic to this. When you look at the prodigy musicians and actually trace back when all the young violinists were playing 20 minutes a day, these kids are playing two hours. Yep. When all the kids were playing an hour a day, they're playing four hours. The difference is they're nine years old. And this kid's a prodigy because he's got 10,000 hours of practice. Everybody else has a thousand. And that's just that, that same thing with, 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 with firearms. If you're if you train every day, if you shoot every day, you're going to be like really Like my good, good friend Drake White wrote in a song called Elvis. Rome wasn't built in a day, and Elvis wasn't born a king. No. He That's, became, you know, he became yeah. through vocal coaching and practice and, and, and mastering to where, you know, it, yeah. whatever your feelings are on Elvis Presley, he became what they call the king of rock and roll. And there will never be another Elvis Presley. No matter how good you are, no matter how talented you are, there'll never be another Michael Jackson. He was a prodigy, but he was working. I mean, probably his dad but, was pushing him so right, hard. But again, he was a musician from the time he was just just starting to walk. Yeah, he was on and, it every day. I mean, he was probably forced into this and pushed into this. And his, I don't know his upbringing, but you're absolutely right. He had his 10,000 hours in at a very young age. Yeah, you meet shooters like Doug Coning, a buddy of mine. Mm -hmm. Like You watch him shoot, and you're just like, man, you are good. And he's like, well... Anybody can get that good if you apply yourself and practice, all you, all practice, you practice. Do is shoot, shoot every day, and that's Julie Golob who shoots for Federal. Oh, yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing, she's, good friend of mine. She's amazing at what she does. I've shot live with her on courses, mm -hmm. and you're just like, wow, I'm nowhere near the talent level of these people. But I don't practice enough. Now we right. get a shotgun and we go out duck hunting. Julie says the same thing about me. Wow, that's really good how you do. You know, and and, and, and it's just to, to each their own. But you you got to practice to yeah. put yourself in these yeah. scenarios. So that's it. Tom from Secure It, secureitgunstorage.com. We did a lot. In, we covered Like a Howard lot. Stern says, you, you, you said it all. <laughs> we did a lot. So. We did a we lot did. in two and a half days. We, got we hammered the stripers on the Sacramento River. Yep. We caught some 15 to 18 pounders. Nolan did. I caught some eight yeah. and 10s. You caught the first, you caught fish. The first fish. You were hammering <laughs> them. Rocky, thank you. Nolan, thank you. Um, the, the fish we ate that night, That's we caught good. it. It was unbelievable. It was good. Last and night you, we had American almond beef steaks. The, Did you the American almond beef? That is. You ate a, you ate good last night. Yeah, that's why well, I'm carnivore. carnivore people know I'm a carnivore. But did you diet, really enjoy so it? Tell the people. Did you enjoy it? Was, it? Uh, yeah, it was. I went back twice to make sure there were no leftovers. And that had the the provider brand yeah. beef. That's all it had on it. 
Yeah. Well, I did sprinkle a little Himalayan pink sea salt. No, yeah, and a little salt and a little butter, it. and then the your uh, the reverse I flashed, sear. I reverse seared it in yeah, butter. That's. I gotta start do. I don't do that now. That Traeger unit slick. Huh? Yeah, I just gotta get where I'm. Where I come off my grill, come off, and I'm just gonna have the pan there and just just quick sear. Pull them off. Well, you pull them off at 110, 115. Yeah. And then quick sear because man, you get that that little bark going. Um, one twenty nine, and you're you're dialed in. Yeah, and because uh, then you let them rest for five six minutes. Yep. And then you slice them against the grain, and yep. you saw how perfect the meat was yep. with that fat. Those steaks are different, though. They got a different flavor. The f- and you really pick it up in the fat because that, that tends to, when you're eating these different diets, those those chemicals, those compounds, a lot of that, I mean, it's stored in the fat. That's where that's where the flavor, that's why I say is, I don't like grocery store meat because they trim all the fat off. Even if, I might mean, eat a lot of fat, carnivore diet, but even if you don't eat fat, leave the fat on your steak when you grill it. You can cut the fat off after you grill it if you want, but man, that's where all the flavor is coming oh, into the yeah. meat. And then we're taking, I had, you know, all that yeah. fat that I did cut off yeah. some of the steaks last night that didn't get eaten. It all is being froze. And, you're and then we'll down. render it down yep. soon and have, yep. have good American almond beef, beef fat, you know? Yep. That's, uh, I do that now with everything. Um, again, carnivore diet, I'm so single, such a narrow focus of what I eat. So I'm, it's really easy for me to, I'm going to 100% use everything. My problem right now is I'm building up rendered down fat quicker than I'm using it. Yeah, so so I gotta figure out. You know what? I gotta. Cause I buy. You know, I buy. Well, a lot of times when you render fat, you yeah. use it to complete a recipe yeah. or utilize a recipe that's not on the carnivore diet, yeah. whether it's tater tots or right. tortillas right. or and that's what vegetables. I'm not, that's what I'm not doing. Um, I do a lot of bacon. I do a lot of uh, pork bellies to get my fat content up. I'll smoke up, do a whole pork belly, slice it up into thick bacon, and if I've got a lean, if I'm doing venison. I will either wrap it in pork belly or cook it with pork belly because the meat is so lean. And when you're eating just carnivore, you need the high fat. But I find backstrap wrapped in bacon, yeah. just a lot of bacon too. Boy, I'll tell you what, I got my whole family Well, on you that got one. me on it. I'm yeah. three days in and I feel good. <laughs> I'm going. I'm, I'm committed to it. Like last night, there was nothing that I wanted more. It went green salad with tomatoes, yep. cucumbers, little ranch dressing or vinaigrette. Yep. Then next to it was a pasta from yeah. Napa Valley olive oil with some olive oil and some of Parmesan cheese that they sell and some basil. Yep. And next to that was asparagus. Which is always magic with steak, isn't it? And I ate just steak with you. And I'm just and our plates did not look anywhere near what our friends did no. at the table. It's tough. You know what? It's I do it for health reasons because my arthritis got so bad and it, it has solved my arthritis problem. But I am gonna go once I get them now we are having some jack, which I, I do that. Jack. That's not part of the carnivore diet. No, it's not. But you know, cavemen, cavemen drink a little bit. When they I uh, when something. I get home, I'm gonna go. Um, and I've been when I travel, I'm not strict because I can't be. I'm at restaurants, I'm on a plane, you know. It's but I'm gonna go home and go really hardcore for 30 days. And then what I want to do this summer scientifically is add just Brussels sprouts grilled and just see how I feel. Maybe some avocados. Yeah. So and just slowly, but one at a time, try things and see. Something in green plants is triggering autoimmune issues. For me, yeah. it'd be neat if I could get, I mean, if you're doing just steaks, asparagus or Brussels sprouts, either one blackened, oh. grilled, it's just so good. So I'm going to, and that and turnips. I'm going to try turnips and uh, parsnips and rutabaga. I love all those diced up and uh, grilled um, with, a, with a nice sear on them. They're kind of black on the outside, soft on the inside. That bitter with the steak is always really good. Well, I'm going for it. All right. Carnivore diet. Chad Mendez, my good buddy, does it. 
Chad Mendez, money. What's up, buddy? Secure it. Gunstorage.com. Check them out. The official gun storage system and gun safe for the foul life. Brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life beginning June 29th exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Find all of our reruns on your My Outdoor TV app, Mo TV. Download it. There's free trials right now. The app is growing like crazy. All of your favorite producers from Waddell to Shockey to Ted Nugent to The Foul Life, Lee and Tiffany, you name it, they're on there. Find it right now at MoTV.com, My Outdoor TV. Check us out online at TheFoulLife.com or on Instagram at TheFoulLifeTV. TV. We're fired up. Check out our sister partners, the provider, Jargon, American Almond Beef, Cowboy Choice, Buck and Bull. We're going hard at it. Um, we're proud of the brands. Thank you all so much for the continued support of this podcast. Yeah, yeah.